You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, open the show with a feel bad story. Usually I go off on something that's annoying me or angering me, but this week, change of pace, I'm going to open with a feel good story and a surprising feel good story. Now, we had to record a few days in advance because I'm out of town, so I apologize if the world is on fire or something went down that you expected me to talk about and I am not talking about it and I'm talking about this instead, but I kind of love this story. The headline was students shocked to discover their math professor used to be a muscle daddy gay adult film star. Now, usually what comes next, you click through a headline like that, and usually what comes next is porn star fired, porn star run out of town on a rail, not ex-porn star, not we disapprove of porn and no one should do it, so we're glad this guy stopped doing porn or this woman stopped doing porn and created a new career and something that contributes in a more concrete way to the future. Da, da, da. Usually there is a sex panic, and usually this person who... We didn't want to be doing porn in the first place because porn is terrible, is driven back into the porn industry because they have no other options because they're not allowed to have a second act or a different career, particularly if they work with kids. But that is not what happened. What I got to read, what I was delighted to read when I clicked through at QueerT where I saw this headline wasn't what I expected to read at all. Students at La Sapienza University in Rome have been in a tizzy after learning their math professor used to work as a hardcore gay muscle daddy adult film star. The film star's name, the now-outed former adult daddy muscle gay porn film star, Ruggero Freddy. And he was outed after he posted a video of himself to Facebook flexing his muscles, which are giant. And someone recognized his muscles from his past work in porn and outed him. And it hit the media in Italy in a very big way. It became a national story. Freddy, the math professor, got into porn Because he couldn't find a job and somebody saw his pictures online and offered him a job in California making a little bit of gay porn. And a quote from the story, one thing led to another and eventually he signed a contract with Colt Studios in California. He became known as Carlo Massi, a gruff bodybuilder with a penchant for hardcore sex. Freddie quit porn in 2013 and returned to Italy where he got a master's degree in math. This is in addition to the master's degree he already had in computer engineering. So – Story comes out, math prof at this university working with impressionable young minds, hardcore gay muscle daddy porn star. And what happens? Nothing happens. Maybe because it's Europe, but you know, Italy is a Catholic country. Still, nothing happens. Dude isn't fired. The students aren't shocked and appalled. Parents aren't grabbing pitchforks and torches and marching on La Sapienza University in Rome. Nope. Ruggero Freddy reports that things have been crazy for him in Rome where he lives with his partner of 11 years and is now pursuing his PhD, but he hasn't been fired. His students aren't walking out and it's a big sort of nothing of a story. Dude used to make porn. Dude now teaches math. I'm happy and proud of both my careers, Freddy says. They both reflect part of my personality. I was happy. I was a good looking guy and the world recognized this and I am very happy the world recognizes that I am also a smart guy. You can be both sexual, even sexual on film, and smart. You can make porn that delights millions, and you can teach math that terrorizes millions. 
to university students. These things aren't mutually exclusive or incompatible. So thank you, Rome, and thank you, Queer Tea, for bringing this to my attention. And thank you, Las Sapienza University, for not panicking, for not hitting the marks that we would have hit in America when this story came down. The university administration didn't panic, didn't fire this guy, and they allowed this math prof to be multifaceted, to be smart about math and good at sex and good at sex on film too. Like I said, it's the feel-good story, for me at least, of the week. All right, coming up on today's show, we've got David Schmader, author of Weed, The User's Guide to 21st Century Handbook for Enjoying Marijuana. He joins us on the magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at www.savagelovecast.com. The magnum subscription edition is twice as long and there are no ads, ad-free, and lots more me at savagelovecast.com. Also, in the micro, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, all that on today's show. Hi, Dan and everyone. This is an early 30s West Coast cis female. I'm in a happy relationship. Everything is great. And here's the big but. I ended up joining Fat Life due to your recommendation and wanted to look around, learn new things. And I ended up um, talking to a guy and eventually having phone sex with him. I haven't told my current partner. I've cut off all communications with this other guy. And I basically just want your opinion. I'm currently in a monogamous relationship. How shitty was this of me to do? Do I need to tell my partner? Or is this one of those times where you do it once and keep the guilt to try and keep the happy relationship? So you got on FetLife. You had a little phone sex with a stranger. Do you need to confess this to your partner with whom you have a monogamous commitment not necessarily sometimes it's better when you cheat or cheat light and this is kind of cheat light that you did to stuff that down the memory hole if you're sure you're never going to do this again if you tiptoed up to the abyss maybe you stuck your toe in the abyss and you realize that this is not where you want to be and you see now with sudden clarity what you were risking and the relationship that you imperiled by violating the agreement you had with your partner about exclusivity in a cheating light way and you came to your senses and that's never going to happen again and you deleted your fat life account, you can stuff that down the memory hole. You do not have to tell. You do not always have to disclose. It's not always the best plan to alleviate yourself of the guilt by shifting the burden to your partner who then has to worry about what this means. And if what this means and you know that it means it's never going to happen again, you eat that. You sit with that. You stew in that forever and you spare your partner that news. You don't shift the burden to them. That said, why did you join FetLife in the first place? What is it that you were looking for on FetLife? Is it stuff that you're not getting in your relationship, your monogamous relationship with your partner? Perhaps there's a conversation you need to have not about this incident but about whatever it was that prompted you to go join FetLife in the first place. Are you sexually unfulfilled? Are you sexually unsatisfied? Is Are there elements or dimensions to your sexuality that aren't – being explored in your relationship or perhaps can't be explored in your relationship. That's a convo that you need to have with your primary partner. You want to be sexually fulfilled. You want him to be sexually fulfilled. What does that mean? Is there a way for you in the context of your relationship to have everything you want? Asterix, no one gets everything they want. But to have almost everything you want or more of what you want or your fantasies to whatever extent your partner can help you realize them, realized with your partner or with your partner's consent. There are sexual adventures, it would seem, that you would like to go on. Can you invite him along on those sexual adventures with you? If you can't, 
That's a conversation you need to have with your partner. That's an assessment you need to make about your relationship, but whether it's viable, whether you want to stay in it. I'm sorry, sex is important. Desire is important. Fantasies are important, and people will undermine and sabotage their relationships to get out of them for sex. Sex always wins in the end. Invite your partner along on your sexual adventure. Invite them into your sexual truths and see what their sexual truths are, what their desires are, their fantasies are. Be there for each other to help realize them and make them possible, to make them happen. You want to be able to look at your partner and think, this is the reason why I get to. Not necessarily get to fuck other people if you have a monogamous commitment, but I get to do the things sexually that I fantasize about and that I want to do to whatever extent is possible and vice versa, that they look at you and feel the same way. So if what prompted you to join FetLife in the first place is some bedrock fundamental dissatisfaction and unhappiness and sense of unfulfillment in your relationship, that's the convo you need to have. And you can leave out the phone sex. Hi, Dan. I'm a late 20s female living in San Francisco in a van that I converted into a little home. I spend a lot of time outdoors, so it is relevant with my lifestyle. I have many reasons why I chose to do this, but one of the biggest is that I'm not wasting money on rent. My question is, how do I go about revealing this information while dating? Living in San Francisco basically makes it critical that your home situation is a topic of conversation. And if I lie and say I'm renting, then that implies I make a hefty amount of money. Um, And I'd also have to find a way to avoid ever bringing them home. That and I'm terrible at lying. I worry about telling a guy on our first date that I live in a van for safety reasons. How do I go about this? I really love my lifestyle and I want to live in a van long term. Please help. Just a couple of weeks ago, we spoke with a woman who was dating a guy who lived in his van or lived in his car. So it's happened twice, two calls. This is now officially a trend, a trend driven by housing scarcity, by gentrification, by displacement, uh, by the failure in so many cities to build, to keep up with demand for housing. More and more people are going to be opting for this kind of life. And you say that this is makes you happy, that fits in well with your lifestyle. It allows you to live in San Francisco and to pursue the outdoor activities that you're primarily focused on at this moment. And it works for you. So Yahtzee and congratulations. And I think you should be completely honest and straightforward and transparent with people that you date when you're ready to be honest and transparent with them about your circumstance, about your living situation. Not that you have anything to be ashamed of, but because I think you're right about the safety concerns of van If you're living in a van and you go out on a first date or a second date with a guy who proves to be untrustworthy or a bit stalkery or violent or can't take no for an answer, who after the second date you realize you don't want to see him again, but he knows where your car is parked and he's just banging on a window away from getting your attention. Yeah, I think you want to vet somebody a little bit longer before you share this information with them. So I'm staying with friends. So – I share an apartment with a roommate right now. I'm living cheap and I can't have people over. It's a little too crowded, a little too awkward. Let's hang out at your place. I think you can kick the can down the road with a few little white lies and then tell them the truth when you tell them the truth. Not just the truth that you live in a van, but the truth about why you obfuscated about where you live for your own personal safety. Any guy that you're dating who reacts negatively to being fobbed off in that way is not a guy I think you want to be dating. Most guys, I think... Any woman would want to date or should want to date is a guy who hopefully necessarily these days is sensitive to a woman's totally reasonable concerns about her safety. 53% of women who are murdered 
in this country are murdered by ex-boyfriends, boyfriends, ex-husbands or husbands. Women have to run defense for their own safety, for their own protection, for their own peace of mind. And a guy who takes that personally, when you tell him that you didn't tell him right away that you live in a van and this is generally where it sparked because you wanted to have a better sense about who he was and whether you could trust him, a guy who makes that all about him in the moment that you disclose it, oh, he's so offended, he's so hurt, he's so, how could you think that, but da 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 that's a good indication that you don't need to keep dating that guy, that he was indeed the kind of guy that you would want to have over to your van in the first place. Good luck. Hi, Dan and this tech savvy at risk youth. Um, I am here with my best friend. We're both uh, late 20s heterosexual women in long-term committed relationships. And we have a question for you. So I have been in uh, my relationship for five years. And my boyfriend and I have a really healthy and fun, um, <laughs> fun relationship around poops and farts. Uh, we fart in bed a lot and we, it's always, we always giggle and it's really cute. And we even will send each other selfies of our faces while we are taking a shit. And it's a, you know, some good potty humor all around. However, recently I've been wanting to explore some ass play in the bedroom to, you know, just get into that. And he wants nothing to do with it. I've asked him to consider a finger, and he just is really, really not into it. So that's my story. I'm going to hand it over to my best friend. Hey, everybody. So I've also been in a relationship for a, a while, a year, and my partner and I have been very open about Ashley from the beginning. He's the first person that I've ever experienced this with, but he will do a finger on me. He'll look down on me with his tongue, and it's been amazing, but... When it comes to talking about bowel movement or farts, he wants nothing to do with it. He freezes up when I ask, like, how are you feeling? Or if, if I fart, he'll just like, completely ignore it, even if I giggle after and be like, what? So our question to you, Dan, is can you have both? Yeah. Can we have um, really hot, like, ass play and uh, sex and explore explorations of the butt? but also have really intimate, funny, healthy conversations about bodily functions and poops and farts? What do you think? Good Lord, straight people are weird. Uh, yeah, you can, I guess, have it all, but not with these guys. I got to say, though, that as someone who enjoys the other stuff a butt can do for a person, that when you're about to stick your tongue up there, you don't want to be reminded or cognizant of or incapable of suspending your disbelief about the other stuff butts do. If you are in the kind of funny about shits and farts relationship where you're constantly farting in front of each other, where you're sending each other selfies of your faces while you're shitting, it might be hard for your partner to disassociate your ass from shit and stink and eroticize it in the moment. Most people into ass play, despite what you religious conservatives are constantly saying about gay people are not there for the feces are not there for the stink they're there for the nerve endings they're there for the sensations they're there for everything else and they go to great lengths we go to great lengths to make sure that shit and terrible smells aren't part of it and if most of the first person most of your interactions with your boyfriend about your ass or about the terrible things that come out of it and the terrible stink that you can produce with it in your bedroom 
yeah, he might not be able to pivot to sticking his tongue in your ass or he might not find asses erotic at all. Asses might just for him be about stank and turds. As for the second lady who jumped on the phone, your boyfriend is into ass play, but he's clearly in ass play and has to pretend that he doesn't know what else ass does to maintain his erotic sort of fascination with and connection to your hole. And if I had to pick one or the other boyfriend, the boyfriend who enjoys shit jokes and shit selfies and fart humor in the bedroom, but no ass play, or the boyfriend who enjoys ass play, but doesn't want to have a lot of fecal centered humor, or farty humor. I would take the latter. I would take the boyfriend who is into ass play, but not so much into scatological humor or farts. So uh, you ask if you can have it all and Maybe you can. Maybe there are people out there. Maybe there are guys out there who can do both the like, ha 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 shit farts and the can't wait to put my tongue in your hole, your butthole. Uh, but neither of you are dating one of those guys. So if you want one of those guys, you're both going to have to break up with your boyfriends and go find the holy grail dude who wants a shit selfie and then wants to stick his tongue in your butt. And for all those guys out there who are into shit selfies and fart jokes and sticking your tongue in a girl's hole – Please don't call. We're, we're not a dating service. We do not hook up uh, randos with people who've called into the Lovecast. Good luck to you all. Hi, Dan. I'm calling from New York City, and I have a question regarding a relationship with a friend of mine. Um, I have a good friend. Um, I love him to death, but he can be kind of shady and selfish sometimes. He has wanted to move to Europe for several years. And it's pretty difficult to get a visa to go live over there. So he figured the best way to get a visa would be to um, marry someone so he could get residency and all that. He met a really nice guy from the Netherlands who seems to be, you know, they're about the same age. They're both in their late 20s. Um, this guy seems to be fairly well off. I don't know of his exact financial situation, but he seems to always have money. And they've been dating for about a year. And... He finally, I guess, convinced him. I don't know who he popped the question, and they're going to get married and go live in the Netherlands. Now, I know my friend is only marrying this guy because he wants to get the EU Schengen visa. Should I say something to this guy because I, he's a really nice guy and I really feel bad for him, or should I just mind my own business and keep my mouth shut? You say you know your shady friend and i'm wondering why you have a shady friend who's selfish and uses people if that's the kind of person he is why is that the kind of person you want to be friends with but you say your selfish shady friend uh, is only marrying this guy for the visa for the residency to go live in europe and i'm curious how you know that for sure has your shady selfish friend told you as much oh i hate this guy i don't really like him i don't love him i'm only marrying him because as you know, I have always wanted to get my hands on an EU passport and go live in Europe, and this is the only way to do it. Do you know that for sure? It is possible that your friend has always wanted to go to Europe. Your friend has always wanted to live in Europe. Your friend has always thought it would be great to marry someone who is a European because then I could have the life that I've always wanted to have. And along comes this guy, and he likes him. Maybe he even loves him, and he gets to have with him a partner, a lover, a husband, and the life that he's always wanted, that that came as a part of the package. And it's part of what he found attractive about the guy, that being with this guy, falling in love with this guy, if indeed he did, would bring with it this other thing that he always wanted. That's not necessarily awful. 
So unless your friend has told you that he doesn't love this guy and that the visa or the residency, the passport, those are the only reasons that he's marrying this guy, keep your fucking mouth shut. You don't know what's in your friend's heart. There are people who want X out of life and they sometimes go seek partners who want X as well. And they marry them. They fall in love with that kind of person, the person who wants in life the things that they want in life or makes possible for them the things that they want in life. That's not always an illegitimate reason. People seek partners for all sorts of reasons. It's a problem if the only reason you're marrying someone is because of X. That's it. You're only marrying them for their money. You're only marrying them because they live in a part of the world that you want to live in. You're only marrying them because they share your faith and it's to please your parents. You're only marrying them because of X. That would be a selfish and shady thing to do. Marrying them because they bring X to the table and X is something you've always wanted. They also are someone that you're attracted to, someone that you enjoy spending time with, that you are genuinely and romantically in love with. That's not illegitimate. That's not awful. That's not terrible. So I would advise you to back the fuck off and keep your mouth shut unless your friend has made it clear to you that he is indeed using this guy and is going to destroy this guy and take his money and take the passport after a couple of years and leave the guy devastated, then maybe speak up. Otherwise, shut up. Hi, Dan and Tech Savvy at Rescue and Nancy. I've been with my boyfriend for almost two years, and he's one of the most creative, interesting people I've ever met in my life. I work in academia, and uh, in addition to being very creative, he's very bad at pretty practical issues. For example, he's lost his phone about eight times since I've known him in these two years. And either I endeavor to get that phone back for him, or he just doesn't have a phone, and then it's impossible to communicate with him, sometimes for months. Most recently when this happened, because of recent political events in our alternative facts universe, there's been a huge debate in my field about uh, diversity. And, um, and I've happily come on the side of supporting diversity in my field. And I sent out an email uh, for a graduate student group that I represent supporting scholars of color and received several hundreds of emails from alt-right trolls doxing me, basically. And during all of this, he was nowhere to be found um, until a few days after it had all gone down. And I feel pretty betrayed by the lack of support I received. And this was a dramatic moment that made me really feel horrible, but um, part of a larger pattern of behavior. And I don't know what to do because I, I don't really feel I can trust him. And just feel very hurt, but I'm scared that I can't find someone who is interested in, you know, talking to me. But he's been sort of difficult to talk to. So I just I just don't know what I should do, and I don't know if this is the compromise that I have to make, or if this is the way it is. I'm not sure I would want to be with someone who, in a couple of years, 
lost his cell phone eight times, lost and had to replace his cell phone eight times, because that's not someone you're going to be able to trust over the long haul with your checkbook or shared credit cards or kids or pets or your health at the end of your life if they're the ones who have to remember to pull the plug and not misplace the plug. But if what happened is eight times your boyfriend misplaced his cell phone, eight times your boyfriend mislaid his cell phone and then wasn't instantly available to you in the moment that you required his attention because you needed to vent to someone, then I think you need to pull the stick out of your ass and not be quite so needy and helpless and maybe expand if you can your support network so it's not just your boyfriend that you call on in moments of crisis and distress. But I may be biased because I am old enough to remember a time when if you wanted to talk to your mom or your boyfriend or your husband about whatever was happening to you at work, uh, whatever distressing shit was going down, you had to get them on a landline or see them at home that night when you got home because people didn't carry around smartphones. I'm old enough to remember a time before smartphones, a time before everyone had their phone in their pocket, a time before you were we all had it in our heads that we should be able to summon our significant others instantaneously. And then we had to, if we were upset, leave a message and wait for a call back. And sometimes that took a while. And in that time, we would have to talk our own selves off whatever ledge we might be on at that moment or turn to someone else who might be answering, might be by the phone at that time or turn to a colleague or a coworker or a friend who was in closer proximity than the husband or mom or whoever else you wanted to talk to. So, yeah, if it's the former boyfriend loses his cell phone every couple of months because he's a disorganized mess – yeah, probably not someone you want as a long-term partner. We want to be with someone who displays good judgment generally, and that displays carelessness and bad judgment pretty effectively. But if he just didn't have his phone on him or couldn't find it so didn't get your message right away, buck up. He's still there for you. He's just not the kind of person who exists with his cell phone in his right hand or left hand wherever he goes and is always instantly available to you also known as normal life pre-smartphones. Hey, Dan. This is a 30-year-old cisgendered woman living in the Bay Area. So I have this guy that I've been dating for about eight months, and we are in the, we're currently talking about whether or not to use the labels boyfriend and girlfriend. And I'm feeling super frustrated because he, so up until this point, we've both been comfortable not using the labels, but for different reasons. So me, I just ended a very serious partnership um, almost a year ago. And so basically I started dating this guy that I'm currently dating pretty immediately after that relationship ended. Um, and I've never like started a relationship that close to the end of another one before. Um, and so it's been really difficult for me to like navigate the ending of one thing and the starting of another. So for me, not using labels has been super great up until now because I was still processing. And um, for him, he doesn't feel comfortable using labels for a different reason. And it's really hard for me not to judge his reasoning because his reasoning seems pretty wishy-washy and not definitive at all. Um, basically he says that he just wants to keep things loose and organic and that using the labels seems silly and pointless to him and that um, it wouldn't change his level of commitment. Like he already feels 
like committed and invested and like treats me like other people treat their girlfriends. He just doesn't want to use the word because it makes him feel anxious. I should preface by saying me and this guy have known each other since high school and he like broke my heart like 10 years ago um, and started dating this other girl after he and I had been like sort of circling each other for a while and never actually dated. He got into this relationship and had a girlfriend and used the label. And so I've sort of asked him about that, about why he could use it then and why he feels he doesn't want to use it now. And he says that it felt forced then and that it didn't end well. And he would just prefer to like, just refer to me as like the woman he's dating or just use my name. And he said he doesn't care if I call him my boyfriend or a partner or whatever I want to say, but that he just doesn't want to do it. I don't know what to do. So why are you dating a guy who is afraid of the word girlfriend, who's afraid of the word girl? It makes him anxious. He sounds like an infant, sounds like a child. What's so terrifying about this word? I know. I have the same opinion you do. Um, so he and I have a lot of history. Um, we were sort of like, had like uh, big feelings for each other, like as kids, like 18 and 19 and so. And then um, and he ran off we kind of like else. continually... Yeah. And then we, we kind of kept hurting each other over and over again um, because we couldn't like be forthright with our feelings. Wow. That sounds so rom-commy. It's super rom-commy. Um, my therapist says the same thing. Um, but rom-com, but rom-coms are a fiction and this is your reality and reality is not always as charming as a, a rom-commy fiction and rarely ends as well as a rom-commy fiction. You rarely get to the wedding and the happily ever after with rom com drama in real life. A lot of rom com drama, a lot of what we see in rom-coms is stalker behavior, actually, where the guy just keeps coming at the woman who doesn't want him, and eventually she succumbs to his charms and his relentlessness. And in real life, that's stalking and rarely a successful mating and dating strategy. Totally. But you guys totally. aren't stalking each other. You just have a history of hurting um, each I, other, you said? Well, yeah. So basically, um, he and I, like, we would not, I, we were both kind of had the same emotional baggage. Like we were both really afraid of commitment and couldn't like, um, be upfront about our feelings. And so we would misread each other. And then also we were like young teenagers and had, you know, flirtations with other people. And we would kind of see that and like, just kind of be like, Oh, I guess we're not doing this. So like, he thought we were, we like had dated on again, off again. And I like as kids and um, I like was like, that's deluded. We never dated. We never had a conversation that we were like seeing each other properly. Um, and so that was a long time ago. And then I actually like uh, about a year ago ended a four year mm -hmm. partnership with someone who I thought I was going to marry. And it was really sad and it's still sad. Um, and I've never been in like gone into one relationship right after another. And so that's been its own process, like kind of dealing with the, the molding of the ending of and then uh -huh. the, the, the excitement and the exploration of this kind of unrequited thing that I never thought I was going to be able to kind of see through and see what it and was now about. You are. Now, um, you guys are now you guys are requiting the shit out of each other, but he's afraid <laughs> of the word girlfriend because what it might mean yeah. to me with that, when someone says that, you know, you're obviously boyfriend and girlfriend. If you're spending all your time together, if you're dating each other, if you're fucking each other, if he's comfortable with you calling him your boyfriend or you, your partner, and he wants to hold yeah. this back. I read into that and I don't know him and you have to, you know, use your own best judgment and it, this is not binding arbitration. It's just spitballing with somebody who's not a, privy to everything. You are. 
when I when somebody does that, like you can call me boyfriend, but I'm not going to call you girlfriend. Right. That tells me that they want when the relationship ends to say, well, I never like they're holding you a kind of arm's length so that if they decide to pull out, they you can't blame them or you can't be angry at them because they never you know gave you the girlfriend gong. So he's not dumping you as a girlfriend. He's just ending things with someone he was seeing or dating casually. But if he's encouraging you to call him. Well, he says it's not casual. And I've talked to him like since then. And he says that like part of it, he thinks is like, he's a very stubborn person uh, by his own admittance. And um, he says that part of it is like uh, just a desire to have a little bit of like subconscious control because so much of the tumult so far in our relationship with me processing the morning of my ex-boyfriend, my ex-partner, like um, he's been, he's kind of like stood by me through a lot that a lot of people wouldn't hang in for because I've been like hung up on this other person who I still love and all this stuff. And so it's like, he's like, for him, it feels a little bit like a, um, he's called someone his girlfriend in the past and it didn't go well. And so he's just a little gun shy to like do that. Cause he's afraid it's going to put a weird pressure on things and change everything. And also he's like clinging to this sense of control because he because everything else has been on my terms. Wait, 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 wait. You have told him you're still in love with your ex? No, 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 no. Well, I had like, we, so we've been dating for like nine months. And so I I mean, I still love my ex. I think I always will love that person, even though we can't be together. Did your ex break up with you? Did your ex break up with you or did you break up with your ex? It was pretty mutual, but I think I initiated it. Okay. And you dumped on your current boyfriend. We'll call him your boyfriend, even if he's not calling you his girlfriend you've used your current boyfriend as a sounding board and for a lot of emotional support as you processed your grief over the end of your previous relationship Mm, i mean i not a huge sounding board but i had to let him in a little bit because it was consuming a lot of my emotional like um uh space in my mind and so like i'm going through something and he can sense that so Mm -hmm. it's like i can't so i'm basically just kind of of be upfront with him with us and I, I've been it's been a learning curve of like how much to share with him because I don't want to needlessly hurt him and put him through something that's not yeah, his it's not your current it's not your current but, partner's responsibility yeah, I mean, to help I have, you grieve yeah. the end of your previous relationship that you know backing way the fuck up that might explain right. why he's not ready to call you his girlfriend yet he may not feel like you're his girlfriend yet that you're not fully over and past Mr. Four Years that you just ended things with, if you're still kind of reeling from that and it's still very, you're still very present in in the pain and the grief and the regret of the end of that relationship, he may not be ready to call you his girlfriend, not just because, yeah. you know, he, he has this superstitious fear about what that word means or what it could do, like it's a curse, but because you're not fully present with him in the relationship that you're in now. Yeah, I know. And I get that. And he has said that in the past. Um, and I think that like, I have a tendency to like kind of swing through the extremes. Like I, I ha- like I'm a very, my, my feelings are big. And so like, when I feel something, I, I, I have a tendency to like go from one extreme to the next, like kind of quickly. So like I, October is my anniversary with oh, my no, ex. You've got so, like, to stop, I had you stop talking about your fucking ex with your current, with the guy you're dating. You can't, it, it, and, well, okay, but, but you also got you got to get a grip, though. <laughs> you know, relationships end. You're only thirty years okay. old. If you need to vent to someone, if you need to like go to pieces with someone about, you know, in October about you know the demise of your previous relationship, this man you expected to marry, do that with your therapist. Do that with a friend. That's not a boyfriend's responsibility. It's not a boyfriend's role. 
right? You know, uh, yeah. you know, our boyfriends come to us, our, our partners come to us with their histories, right? My, you know, my boyfriend has a terrible act. Sometimes he's talked to me about it and, and I'm there for him, but that was early in our relationship. We hardly talk about it anymore. Um, but that was just like part of him, but it wasn't, he wasn't reeling. And I, I'm worried that you're minimizing a little right. bit uh, about your interactions with him and about your feelings and the tumult that you're still experiencing because of the demise of your relationship. It sounds like you still might be reeling from the end of the relationship. I mean, I'm still definitely mourning. Okay, well, yeah. If, if yeah. I was with somebody, and, and, you know, it comes and goes. If like I was with somebody does, who was but... mourning their previous relationship, I might not be ready to call that person my boyfriend either. Not because I didn't want them to be my boyfriend, not because they didn't feel like I was their boyfriend, but because they weren't really completely in the room with me yet. They were still in, to some extent, the previous relationship. And so they're not my boyfriend. You're not my boyfriend until you're ready to be fully here and fully present and you're not still you know, one foot in this new relationship and one foot in the grave that the other relationship is buried in. That makes a lot of sense. And I, when I told him, I was like, I, I wanted to start using the label because like, I felt like I was ready to like really, really close the door on like kind of being... Anyway, I might have jumped the gun on being like, hey, I'm ready to start calling you my boyfriend because I want to be mm-hmm. there. Do you know what I mean? But, and like maybe but, but I even the, the issue too even soon the way you or something. That says, I'm not there yet, but let's like maybe if, you know, maybe if we fake it till we make it, I'll call you my boyfriend until you start to feel like my boyfriend. That's kind of how you framed it just then. And that would, if I was on the receiving end of that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know I want to call you my boyfriend because I hope to get there someday and really feel like you're my boyfriend and forget my ex. That would leave me feeling like, whatever, guy, dude, come on, Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, I think I do feel, I yeah, but, do feel that uh, way. It's, but it's, okay, it's like new, new but, you, you know? know. I think he may be reading into some of your statements and some of like your big feelings that he's the consolation prize and he's the fallback guy. It, that said, it could also be he has like totally cliche mm. bullshit, straight guy, fear of commitment crap, and he's and he's holding you with tongs. And <laughs> I think it's probably okay, a bit maybe of both. Well, but he's holding you a bit at arm's length so that if he decides to pull out and you get upset, he can say, "Well, hey, I, you know, we never were boyfriend and girlfriend. You can't be this upset with me because I, you know, I withheld this term, even though we're completely functioning in each other's lives as boyfriend and girlfriend. You know, he may be looking for that kind of dodge, that kind of out, right." Um, and holding that back for that reason, because things feel, still feel tentative for him, and he's not ready yet to, to to fully commit to you. And if you're still reeling from your ex, you know your previous relationship, if you're still dumping on him in this way, and I sense that maybe you're dumping on him more than you realize or perceive yourself to be, because if you're still in the grief stage, sometimes that mm-hmm. isn't about what you say, uh, you know, or what you dump on someone. It's kind of about how you are and the moods that you get in and the silences or the sighs or the glances, like if you're still grieving and reeling, yeah. he may not, it may, like you said, a combo of like male fear of commitment, but also you're giving him a really good reason to fear commitment. If you're not there yet, if you're not yeah. his yet. So give it a little more time. It's yeah. only been eight Thank fucking you. months. Give it a little more time. You know, I think if people are dating three, four months, there's, there's nothing about girlfriend, boyfriend. These aren't titles. That, that that come with responsibilities and they can be withdrawn yeah. with a statement and a declaration of it's over. So, and, and you don't have to go to court. You don't have to get a judge to right. sign off on it. You don't have to hire lawyers. I don't understand why some people are so afraid of those terms. Particularly a lot of straight guys are terrified of those terms because you can walk away at any time. Yeah. But I can understand why maybe this guy is afraid of this term at this time, at this moment. Heal. Heal thyself. Get out there. Get yeah. yourself a therapist. Grieve 
fully with your friends and be with him when you when you're able to be fully with him and present with him and enjoy him. Maybe that needs means for right now seeing him a bit less than you've been seeing him. Seeing him when you're up and you want to see him, mm-hmm. not seeing him all the time, not seven nights a week. Like carve out some time for your I mean, we see each other like two okay, well, or three good. nights a Make week. Make sure those yeah. three or four nights a week when you're on your own. Yeah. That that's when you're doing your grieving and reeling yeah. and venting, not to him, to a friend or a shrink or a faggot with a podcast. <laughs> I'm doing my best. It's just hard to like put your feelings on a schedule, but I hear you. And it, I it is. It is hard. Advice, you're so absolutely right. You. It is hard to put your feelings on a schedule. I'm not trying to put your feelings on a schedule. I just want you, if what you want from him is what you said you want from him, this is how, this is the strategy to get it. Be his girlfriend. When you're with him okay. and be the grieving ex of this other dude on your own time. Good luck. All right. Thank you. Thank you for calling. Sure thing. Bye. Hi, Dan and the tech savvy at risk youth. Question about weed in the bedroom. You mentioned using it a lot and I'm happy to. Uh, the stuff I use usually is just for sleep and knocks me out, which is not so good for I don't want to sleep through it. Um, so the THC and CBD ratios, what do you suggest? I'm guessing you would suggest that via versus um, But I'd like to know if there's a killer combo. Um, I've kind of accidentally had some that was amazing but didn't know what it was. But it sure worked. So I'd love to know what it was or what the best combo would be um, and any other feedback you have around 420 use and multiple orgasms. Joining me to discuss 420 use and multiple orgasms, David Schmader, author of Weed, The User's Guide, and senior editor at the All Things Cannabis website, leafly.com. Hey, Dave. Hi, Dan. It's so good to have you back. Thanks. So about your multiple orgasm problem. I don't have the time for all the orgasms I'm having. I don't either. That's the thing I don't – like people talk about multiple orgasms like they're – a wonderful thing in all cases, but this capacity that women have, this superpower, that the more orgasms they have, the more orgasms they can have, potentially insatiable, limitless orgasmic potential. And I'm always really glad that I'm gay because like, oh, you came, we're done. We can have some ice cream. We can smoke some more pot and go to bed. (laughs) It is a superpower and I'm jealous. Which is the multiple orgasms things or knowing when you're fucking done? <laughs> multiple orgasms. Okay. So some people, you know, I recommend pot to people all the time, but I'm not a pot connoisseur like you are. So people are often like, oh, let's talk about sativa. Let's talk about, what's the other one? The Indica. Do? Indica. And I use the pot that Terry puts in front of me. <laughs> Just like I eat the groceries that Terry brings home. I don't, uh, I don't know anything. For you bone caught, the thirds that Terry brings home. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know anything uh, about procurement of pot groceries thirds. I just know about consumption of pot grocery thirds. You know about pot <laughs> and its procurement and its strains. Yeah. So help this caller out. Um, well, she's absolutely right that she should aim for a heavy sativa, and I bet that's what lit her up that one time. Also, this is a time now. Why, why sativa? Why does oh, like sativa it is the brain tingly, creative, uh, creativity enhancing um, family of the cannabinoids. Um, it's and the pot soaked in PCP. <laughs> popular with the kids these days. Yeah, you know, no one really. First of all, no one has any pot or PCP to waste. 
who is giving it to kids for free? Who are these freaks? <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's no PCP in uh, – we're not recommending PCP right. lace pot. And the um, – I think – so if, if she's in a legal state where she can go up to a store and say, I want something that will make me feel sexy and awake for it, mm-hmm. they will give her six options. If she's not – All of them sativa strain. <laughs> I would bet. Mm-hmm. People are getting way more uh, – the the – Cutting edge bud tenders are getting beyond indica and sativa, and you'll soon be hearing about terpenes and entourage effects. So brace yourselves. And but, it's going to be as tedious. <laughs> it's going to be as tedious soon as listening to people talk about wine. Isn't and it? and sativa and indica will be the red and white of that. It'll be like <laughs> it'll still work for the for eighty percent of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like now, give me that. And other people say you're not finessing this correctly. But what is the white Zinfandel? <laughs> my mother's corpse would like to know. Oh my god, my mother's spirit would like to know. <laughs> Her corpse is disinterested. <laughs> okay. You're the only person I allowed to joke to my face about my dead mama. Oh, but what is the white terrific. Zinfandel in pot? Um, well, what's, what's the white, what does white Zinfandel do to a person who drinks it? It gets them drunk. And is it like sparkly brains? or Okay. That's going to be more, yeah, that's, that's more about getting it in you and like kid stuff of like, I need the sweetest boost in in the world the bartles and james of pot yeah we used to call it boons okay but no backing up we defined sativa indica is is the it is more of the body high it's end of the day the big joke is indica keeps you in the couch uh, and sativa sunrise uh-huh um and which do you prefer i love sativa because mm-hmm. it it is literally generative of i, I have like seven ideas <laughs> and, and you write them all down. Yes, and explore them. And I'm like, not the only one. There's lots of people who it's like God's stuff. Adderall. <laughs> kind of, yes. And it grows places. Um, so to the caller, get thee to a legal pot shop and ask for, about sativa. Yes. And if you're just dealing with – if you're in a state that doesn't have such things and you're just dealing with what comes your way, caffeinate. It works well with, with all cannabis, but that will keep you awake. So coffee and, and cannabis together. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if you get uh, – what are those called? The little droppers? Uh, tinctures? Tinctures. If yeah. you get little vials of like pot oil, you can actually put it in your coffee. Mm-hmm. You could drink that shit at work. <laughs> yep. And that the tinctures, they land a little quicker than edibles because um, – You absorb them right Yeah, away. you absorb them right in your mouth and it doesn't have to go through your liver. Um, so yes, caffeinate if you are just dealing with the pot that's in front of you and if not, sativa and have fun. We have a lot of pot questions. We want you to stick around and answer some more. I would love to. Hi, Dan and the tech savvy at risk youth. I'm a 22 year old straight girl from Mississippi. My question is about smoking pot and having sex. I discovered pretty early on into college that the only way I could come was if I was a little high. And usually this isn't a problem. I love smoking. I love being high, but um, after graduating, it's just come to my attention that it's not always easy or convenient um, to smoke every time I want to have sex. You know, it's the middle of the day, I have to work, I can't go to work high. You know, it's just not always the best solution to be high all the time, even though I would love to be. Um, so if you have any, any advice about how to... Um, to come maybe without um, the help of some marijuana, that would be so helpful. So listening to her call, I think of all the pot lubes that are out there now. Can you be locally high? Can you just get your pussy high with these lubricants? It's 
not going to be the same type of it, it doesn't it's not psychoactive that way but i had six women come over and put vaginal suppositories in and i interviewed them all as it was happening and they were all like there is a bloom in my womb there is a bloom in my womb the and across the board there was this feeling of ooh so there is a you feeling say bloom in my womb and i think of those blooming <laughs> onions at australian <laughs> outback Restaurant. Hopefully that did not happen to those women. I don't, I didn't hear any, anything along those lines. So there is a topical relief, but it's not going to be the psychoactive brain tingly THC experience. And does, and she may need that brain. She, she may have some inhibitions that the pot like unlocks that puts her more in her body and more in the moment that helps her to come. Or maybe, you know, sometimes you smoke pot and you get sort of an all over body sensation. Maybe she just needs to like, plot effect of the pot i get you wonder like i was talking to nancy here before you showed up about the kind of crutch use of of cannabis and you're like i i like crutches i rely mm. on crutches i'm a crutch-based human but there's a <laughs> point where and we were talking about oh i can like there's a, a phase of brainstorming where cannabis is a one-way track to just like 14 ideas right now mm. um and i sometimes i'm like oh I, I i could do that if i you know without that if i needed to. Um, and what that would mean would probably be like sitting still and paying attention to your feelings and taking deep breaths, and not on a bong. to do that? And, just, uh, and I often wonder <laughs> if, you, if you just took all the same deep breaths that you were taking off a bong, just not on a bong, if you might have a perfectly lovely enhancement of your experience too. But that thing where... So cannabis, you're recommending to her perhaps relaxation techniques, the I, physiological effect that pot has on you, see if you can't recreate it just by going through the motions, but without the pot. But and the get other, into your body and get into the moment. Yeah. But the other side is like, what do you tell people who I can't come without porn? How is it? How does this tie with that? Well, I tell people who can't come without porn or can't come without gripping themselves in a very particular way to knock that shit off for six months or a year and see if they can't carve a new groove into their neural pathways that connect their brains to their junk and yep. come in a new way. That's what probably be the same thing with the cannabis of like, wait, you have to store up a horniness to override your natural inhibitions <laughs> and but but i also tell people who you know guys with the death grip masturbation style who have to pull out and jack themselves off at the end to come because they can't because it's because they're they've trained their dicks only to respond to that intensity of grip that a badge mouth or an ass can't replicate give it six months have sex if you don't come you don't come you don't wait 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 and then always give yourself the, the grip at the end because nothing else is working. You just don't come. And eventually your dick is going to find a way to come. But if after six months your dick hasn't found a way to come, which is an outcome occasionally, but people have success with this method. If after six months and you really gave it that college try and it never worked, well, then this is just the way your dick works. And to the caller, I would say, you know, give it a try. Maybe you have Dave here from <laughs> Leafly.com telling you to maybe not smoke pot for six months or a year. <laughs> but if in all that time it doesn't work and you need pot, well, then that's the way your orgasms work. And God gave you this gift to make sure that you can have these orgasms. And maybe when you don't have pot or don't have time to pot, those are the days that you have sex without climaxing. Because it's not always about the orgasm. We say that to men all the time. It doesn't always have to be about the orgasm. We don't say that to women all the time because so many women have problems achieving orgasms. So many women are trapped in bed with men who could give a shit about their orgasms. We're constantly encouraging women to masturbate and explore and, and center their orgasms. But, you know, we can't every once in a while say to somebody, you know, you can have – even to a woman, you can have sex and really enjoy it without climaxing and that's okay too. So if it's the middle of the day and you can't get high but you still want to have sex, have sex. And then get high later at night at home and have sex again or masturbate about <laughs> the sex you had earlier in the day. 
that would be my advice for her. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, Dan, I'm a 20-something queer female calling from the West Coast. I've been dating this woman for a year now. And when we started, she smoked weed a lot. And I mean, I smoke a little, a lot of my friends smoke, but pretty soon I felt the way that she did. I mean, she mentioned she used weed to deal with depression. Um, she gets some withdrawal. She didn't smoke for a couple of weeks. There are jobs that she didn't apply for uh, because they drug tests. Once she smoked before going to work, uh, to work with kids all day. Um, and I mean, right now things have settled down. She's decided she doesn't want to smoke while she's driving a lot at work. And she's been able to do that, which is great. Uh, but I guess my question is more generally, how do you deal with issues like this in a relationship? I mean, like when we're both adults and I don't want to control her. Um, but at the same time, there were times when we were not talking about it and it was making us really unhappy. And I had moments where I thought like, I love her, but I, I want to leave. And it felt, it felt almost unfair to tell her like, stop smoking or just like control your smoking or I'm leaving you. You're a pothead. Mm-hmm. I'm a pothead. Thanks to you. Uh, you're welcome. The person who got me stoned for the very first time in my life. And remember what happened? You passed out of my kitchen. It was out. so scary. <laughs> That's what happened. If you wait to smoke pot for the first time until you're 36 years old. And you're an asthmatic. And you're an asthmatic. It will overwhelm you. <laughs> as don't want me. Uh, so as you a came back for more. It was better, better than bad. As a pair of potheads. Yes. In relationship with someone who says, look, smoke less or I'm out. What would you say? What would your response to that be? My thing would be what, what do you, okay. I would, it's like, does it, do I, do I just get to switch to edibles? You don't care that I'm high. Is it the smoke? Mm-hmm. What, what, what are you really going after that, that's, that you're missing? Because smoke is annoying for a million reasons, but then emotional unavailability because of being baked is a different thing. There's all, I would want to know like what the real issue is. What, what do you need changed? But her issue seems to be risk and irresponsibility, <sighs> working with kids and baked out of her mind, driving, yeah. uh, impaired, uh, baked out of her mind. Uh, her concerns seem, legitimate and the kind of concerns that if you're in a romantic relationship or you're in a partnership with someone you kind of want them to intervene at times to sort of nudge you off in in the right direction if somebody was drinking and driving you wouldn't say well is it controlling of me to tell them not to drink and drive if somebody was going to work hammered and potentially going to lose that job because they were hammered or harm someone on the job because they're hammered you wouldn't hesitate to speak up. Is it the same thing here? Should you not hesitate to speak up? I, yeah, it seems like this is not a weed problem. It's difference in morality. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm alarmed by your behavior. And you, of course, you, you probably notice you like always stick with I feel statements, but it's hard when like, I feel that you're driving to work high to deal with children makes me feel sad. <laughs> like it makes me feel like you're not someone. Well, I think that I talk about this a lot. It's a phrase that I throw around a lot that I don't hear a lot of other sex and relationship racket types throw around, which is bad judgment. We want to be in relationship with people who demonstrate pretty good judgment because you're going to trust them someday to pull the plug on you. And you want good judgment, particularly at that moment. And harmonious judgment is how you know you found the right person, kind of. And so what you're saying to your partner isn't high or not high, whatever, whatever. What what your partner's demonstrating is pretty shitty judgment. Not that pot is a problem, but shitty judgment is a problem. And pot is a symptom of that disease, not the disease itself. Yeah. And if they were in a state with medical marijuana, I would say the one girlfriend should go get it checked out. Because if this was a strict dosage situation, a lot of guilt would be gone. Um, There would be just some accountability mm-hmm. and, and, a, and a schedule. So it wouldn't be my, your emotions driving you to smoke. It'd be like, here's my dose. 
there's a lot of people out there on uh, on Prozac and other uh, what are those called antidepressants. Um, and there are also people out there who say that you know they they went off Prozac, they went off an antidepressant that cratered their libido or had all sorts of other side effects, and they smoke a little weed and they they uh, self medicate with weed and they find it to be less toxic, fewer side effects, not cratering their libido. And so I think we have to throw that into the mix too. Like, is your girlfriend someone who, if she wasn't a, a, a daily or habitual pot smoker, would be taking antidepressants that might have other right. uh, medical concerns? Yeah, not the driving ones. Everyone's fine with everyone driving on antidepressants. And apparently, the, for all the talk about stone driving, we're in the middle of a huge opioid epidemic, and I don't hear anything about drugged driving as much. Anyway, so back to you. <laughs> <laughs> or back to you, caller. I mean, to reiterate the caller's primary concern, was she being controlling as she actually convinced her girlfriend to smoke less and be more thoughtful about when she smoked? No, the third parties that she's protecting keep her out of control girlfriend area, I would say. Don't you think? Mm -hmm. Like, we can both agree that it's better for these people you are working with that you're not high. And we all know, you and I know that you function well high, but think about what it would look like on paper to someone who doesn't know if there was an accident that had nothing to do with you being high and yep. you got drug tested, consider the yeah. fallout and consider the consequences of that. Mm -hmm. And so it demonstrates bad judgment for you to be high in these moments because blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And you call her, you have a right to want a girlfriend who demonstrates and executes pretty decent judgment. And yeah. she sounds like she's demonstrating better judgment now thanks to you. So rather than put yourself on the rack for being controlling, I think you should give yourself a little gold star for making each other better people. Do you think gay couples have this thing where you're like, we know what each other have gone through growing up, especially of a certain age who grew up in the battle days like you and me. Mm -hmm. If there's this thing of like, I'm just going to let you be free. And we're, <laughs> we have really hair triggers about like being controlling because we both agree like you did the right thing. And mm -hmm. she's clearly suffering about like, how dare I tell another human what to do? It's like, um, especially when I love so much, like guidance is love at times. Yes. You need to, I think it's good to, scrutinize to interrogate your actions and choices and the way you function in a relationship as the kids say to make sure you're not tipping over into abusive controlling and i don't think that's the case here i don't think that's the case at all no anyone who's going to call you with this level of fear about this level of control i don't think is capable of abusive controlling <laughs> so full speed ahead hi dan i'm a 32 year old bisexual poly female in california and my question is more about social etiquette than relationships um, I am unfortunately allergic to marijuana and it seems like every time I'm exposed to it, my allergic reaction gets a little bit worse. So obviously I don't smoke it, but I've gone from not being able to smoke it to the point where last weekend I came into my boyfriend's room on Saturday morning after he had smoked on Friday night and slept with the window open and within five minutes was having a severe asthma attack just from being in the room where it had been smoked probably 10 hours previously. So my question is, uh, as California laws get more relaxed starting next year about possession of marijuana and, and where you can buy it, that's going to affect <laughs> me getting invited to parties, going over to people's houses. It's going to be a lot more prevalent that I am the circumstance where I'm in a room where I could potentially be having a severe allergic reaction. So how do I how do I deal with that problem when people invite me places? I don't want to be that buzzkill who says says I can't come over because you smoke marijuana. I don't want to be someone who comes across as a moral policeman, but I also want to be able to breathe. So I wasn't sure how to deal with that with friends, with acquaintances, 
my boyfriend's got it under control. We now have everything in vacuum sealed containers, but I obviously can't expect that of everyone else. I feel your pain, caller. I am very, very allergic to cats uh, and dogs. And so when I'm invited to someone's house, I will, invited for the weekend, invited for dinner, I will ask, do you have cats or dogs? And if the answer is yes, I ask them to please vacuum and kill their cats and dogs. And that pretty much takes care of the problem. Oh, um, yeah, it sounds like it's an asthma. What, no joking about killing cats or dogs? You're joking about my dead mother 10 minutes ago and I can't joke about killing a cat? She was already dead. No one killed her. Okay, <laughs> just kidding. I mean, everyone killed her. I don't know. <laughs> 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 All right. So you're, this is a smoke situation and it's, it, it's, it, I feel your, I feel for this caller because it's this weird thing where with cigarettes, we now say, go outside. You'll, you will never be in a room with cigarette smoke with, with civilized people. Mm-hmm. But the, there are no, a lot of the, even the states that have legal cannabis, you have to smoke inside your private residence. You, you are driven inside. inside. Yes. So this, her thing about not knowing about parties, it's going to be a pain in her butt. But are people allergic to weed smoke? It sounded more like she had an asthma attack. Right. To smoke. So it's a trigger for her, for asthma. Right. But it's not an allergen necessarily. Right. It did, it got kind of mixed in there where yeah. she said I was allergic, but then she referenced the kind of asthma attack. Um, that's really tough. Because that's that's a smoke thing, mm-hmm. you know. You can get ever you can get your boyfriend to switch to edibles, or even vaping might have a different effect than the billowy smoke of bongs. But, but she's so sensitive that the fact that he smoked in his bedroom the previous evening and slept with the windows open wasn't enough to prevent her from having an asthma attack uh, when she showed up the yeah. next day. So, what would your advice be to someone who has this problem, uh, an asthmatic response to the, the smell or, or of pot or pot smoke? Uh, who's invited to a party? How should you pro- – uh, like I joked at the top about you know asking people if they have cats, but I do. I'm invited to a dinner party. I said, do you have cats or dogs? Uh, if I'm invited to, to spend the night or a weekend at you know somebody's house somewhere, I have to ask, do you have cats or dogs? Because then I have to pack in meds right? Uh, so I can take care of myself. Are there meds that will help you or what do you do? What do you I, say to well, the Well, your cats and dogs – I bet these people put their cats and dogs in a separate room when you're there too. Mm-hmm. Not that that helps. Um, I think it might help with the – cannabis and i wouldn't put it i don't think it's rude to ask a party host like can you have one room for smoking instead of full range smoking might be the way to go because if if this is um she won't be the only one who has this effect probably mm-hmm. and, and there's a or, lot of people out there who aren't allergic to pot smoke but don't like the stink of it and don't want it on their absolutely clothes. so the i think it would be a strong choice for people to have a full pot party every room of the house instead there's usually like a tasteful balcony where people are smoking recognizing that in a lot of states even still asking people to go outside to smoke their pot <laughs> is asking them to risk arrest yeah which we forget about here in washington state and oregon and colorado uh, in California, that this is a thing still. Yeah. She needs to find nerdier friends who don't do anything cool like smoke weed, man. <laughs> or own cats. <laughs> that question was good. A lot of talk, but there was not much sex in that question. So let's talk briefly before we uh, let you go. Yes. Uh, about pot and sex. Great. I bet you have, you've had Mistress Matisse on here. I have. She's a friend Matisse. of the show She's and a- she has, she has launched, she's now a cannabis entrepreneur, her velvet swing lube. Um, that's kind of the hot new thing of cannabis and sex is it, apparent those wonderful rolling orgasms we were just talking and being jealous of earlier are apparently I am not jealous of those orgasms. Oh, Speak I'm for yourself. I'm jealous enough for both of us. <laughs> the apparently these are way more accessible with this cannabis lube which was does not get your brain vagina high. high or your brain high. It just um there 
cannabis is a magical drug and there are <laughs> localized physical localized effects. Physical, physical effects. Um, and then for people, I mean, the other thing is just it really – alcohol does the same thing, but cannabis does it faster. It just gets you kind of on the same plane. You can take six people and they're all frantic with their own thoughts and you sit down and you have a drink together. You sit down and you have a puff together. You come into like a communal space and it's just a really fast oh, thank way. Thank you not to call my husband a communal space. Please, <laughs> oh, right. He's a designated landmark now, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank God Terry doesn't listen to this show. <laughs> I just had to make the cheap joke. We just had to come into a communal space. And I thought, you see those guys with the cum dump t-shirts on it? Full summer IML. Maybe they should have a communal space t-shirts. <laughs> a few um, more syllables makes it classier. Yeah. So you talk about it. According to your callers, you talk about cannabis all the time well, on the show. So many calls from people who you know want to do this but are just too uh, tense about it. And my prescription then is often – have a little pot. Don't like destroy yourself. Don't yeah. be so baked you can't figure out how to work the remote that you've been using for 10 years. We've all been there. But like have a puff or two of pot. Like disinhibit with pot. And I think disinhibiting with, you know, people use alcohol all the time to disinhibit and nobody has a problem with that. You have mainstream sex advice people saying, have a glass of wine, have two glasses of wine, and then roll around with your husband. Uh, I think the same applies to pot. And I actually think pot is better because pot doesn't make you aggro. Uh, and if you have insecurities or you have hangups or you have, you know, tension in your relationship and you're trying to get past that and reestablish your sexual connection, consuming something that might make you more aggressive or confrontational, maybe not the best psychotropic drug to, to, to call in at that moment. Having a puff of something that makes you relax and happy and upbeat and in the moment and without me, aggro much better yeah and it for for me and i know a lot of other people it's like taking a highlighter over every sensory pleasure like everything you like you like a little bit more it's a little more accessible it's a little richer with sativa i'll say this <laughs> you do get that sizzle effect where the thing you're eating or the thing you're listening to or the thing you're watching on television or the thing you're sucking on <laughs> is just a little bit more delightsome mm-hmm. delightful <laughs> it's yeah it's more intense so it, it, it things whether you're going to a buffet or an orgy have a little puff um and do you do you have a lot of callers who have kind of moral qualms about it if they happen to live in states where it's still illegal the qualms i get are people who are concerned about other people's pot use and sometimes okay. it's a legitimate concern like the caller earlier whose girlfriend was uh, driving uh, yeah uh, getting high and driving getting high and going to work with kids and sometimes it's just not a legitimate concern it's someone standing outside saying i'm just not comfortable with pot and my boyfriend smokes pot twice a week and i have, and i'm furious and i want and he won't stop for me and i'm like good he shouldn't stop for you he should get, he should get a better girlfriend yeah. who's not going to police or tr attempt to control what is uh in my view very reasonable uh and limited consumption of marijuana for the, all the right reasons for pleasure and relaxation at the end of the day yeah there's and the 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 minute a state legalizes, it lets everyone in that state talk honestly about their cannabis use, which helps so much because then you get the lawyers and the surgeons. And also with the decriminalization, there are people – you and I are not like this because we grew up gay and we know that laws are garbage sometimes. But there are people who don't like breaking the law and they just don't like it. I don't want to break the law. If there's a law, I don't want to break it. We're old enough to have broken sodomy laws. Yeah, no. There's a thing of like <laughs> – yeah, I, or like you can dress as a woman and be, go to jail in New York City in 1967. Um, so I, I have this kind of view of, of, oh, you can take or leave laws according to your own personal preferences. <laughs> and lots of people don't have that. And just kind of encouraging people to know that 
so much of their resistance, I feel, is just damn like kind of PTSD from the war on drugs. Emily Ophi, who used to write Dear Prudence at Slate, recommended pot to a reader, uh, but advised the reader that if they were in a state where cannabis wasn't legal, they were going to have to get on an airplane and fly to Colorado or Washington to follow her advice, that she wasn't comfortable advising them to break the law in the state where they lived. Whereas I was like, wherever yeah. you are, have some fucking pot. It's, yeah. And I think it does, does tie into the gay thing. Like we we're putting dicks in our mouth when that was technically illegal. Uh, I lived in the UK when I was 22 and I had a boyfriend who was 20 and the age of consent then for gay sex and just for gay sex was 21. For straight people, it was 16. And for lesbians, it was 18. But for gay men, it was 21. So I was statutorily raping the shit out of my boyfriend when I lived in the UK and you looked at that law and you went, yeah, that's a really stupid law. And I'm not going to not put that dick in my mouth. And same thing with pot. You looked at that law and said, that's a really stupid law. And there's no rational basis for it. And I'm going to put that in my mouth too. And it's one of those laws where if you break through your the, the fear and the prohibition and you try it and you realize that so much you've been told about it was a lie, that it makes you want to break more laws. It makes you, <laughs> And that's kind of the, a, a shadow harm of prohibition is it makes you question everything else you've been told. Like, well, if they were lying about weed, maybe PCP is the greatest thing ever. Or bank robbery. Yeah. Oh, arson. So good. <laughs> Such a great disinhibitor. <laughs> Dave Schmader, Weed the User's Guide. He's the author of Just Came Out in... The UK and Australia Today. Go get it. In the UK and Australia, it is terrific. Uh, I hope my blurb's still on the cover. It is. In the UK and Australia. Also senior editor at the All Things Cannabis website, leafly.com. Check it out. Thanks, Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm a longtime listener and a bi male living in the South. I've been technically out, out now for really only a little while, but I've been, you know, experimenting every occasionally with, with guys for a few years. And uh, I had a guy back in March actually do the whole stealthing thing on me and it kind of messed me up for a little while. But um, I'm much more open about my sexuality now and I'm trying to uh, meet people, usually through like grinder apps and scruff and stuff like that. I'm not looking for a relationship, you know, I'm looking for friends and possible hookups and things like that. And it's been strange because especially with what happened to me, I'm a lot more sensitive about condom use and I'm, you know, I got tested and, and I, didn't, I didn't catch anything from it, but still I'm noticing a weird trend on a lot of these apps that a lot of these guys don't seem to want to wear them. It feels like, you know, you're in the middle of a conversation where a hookup is about to happen. And as soon as you say, Hey, I, I want to use a condom, it just shuts it down. And that's happening a lot. And I kind of thought the community o overall was more responsible than that. And I'm just wondering, is, is that a thing now? Is that something that you're noticing more and more is, is guys just don't want to wear them for whatever weird reason. It was hard getting guys to wear condoms back when contracting HIV was highly likely to end your life and end it promptly. There were still a lot of guys out there who refused to wear condoms. We now live in a world where there are drugs that treat HIV effectively, where the lifespan of someone with HIV is just as long, nearly just as long, the potential lifespan, as someone who doesn't have HIV thanks to these drugs. Another benefit of the drugs, someone who is on them and taking them and is compliant will have a zero viral load and someone with a zero viral load is non-infectious. So someone with HIV who knows they have HIV, who's in treatment, who's compliant, who's taking their medicines every day, even though they're HIV positive, that guy is a less risky partner to have 
sex with, protected or not, than a guy who thinks himself to be HIV negative because the last time he tested three years ago, he was HIV negative and may not be HIV negative now. He's likelier to infect you than the HIV positive guy who's drug compliant and in treatment and has a zero viral load. So there's that. There's also PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis. A lot of guys are on PrEP and PrEP protects people from HIV infection. Even if there is exposure to HIV, protects people from HIV infection. So a lot of guys these days are choosing to go without condoms because they are non-infectious or because they are on prep or some combo platter of both. The fly in this ointment is gonorrhea and the emerging drug-resistant strains of gonorrhea and syphilis and chlamydia and all the other sexually transmitted infections out there that PrEP isn't going to protect you from and that you can be not infectious about HIV but infectious about this other shit. So condoms, which were never that popular to begin with, condoms that we had to beg people to roll down their dicks in the 80s and 90s when people were dropping dead all around us in the queer community, less popular now than they were then. And that's not irrational, less necessary now. Less of a lifesaver now than they were then. Less crucial now than they were then. And people make their choices. People weigh their risks. They mitigate them, hopefully, if they're sensible. But then people make informed choices for the most part about what degree of risk they're comfortable with. There are a lot of guys out there in byland and gay land and gay and byland who are deciding that they are comfortable enough with the risk of every other sexually transmitted infection to access the benefit of condomless sex in a context where HIV risk has been eliminated or mitigated to such an extent that the risk is exceedingly low. That's what you're encountering. I'm not telling you not to insist on condoms. And the guy who stealthed you, who removed the condom without your consent after putting the condom on as a condition of having intercourse with you, what an asshole. What a fucking jerk. He assaulted you. That ain't okay. You can insist on condoms. You can tell guys that you know that they're not infectious if they're paused and they're drug compliant or they're on PrEP and it shouldn't be an issue and isn't an issue. But for your safety and because you're concerned about other sexually transmitted infections, you insist. And if the guy takes his dick and goes when you insist, good Fucking riddance. Not the right partner for you. Not somebody that you wanted to be in bed with. Somebody who may have been tempted in the moment to lose the condom or remove the condom. Somebody likely to, to stealth your ass again. Stick to your latex guns. Insist on condoms. But we live in a world now with PrEP and we live in a world now with non-infectious HIV positive guys. And people are making different choices and rational ones in this new world. Hi, Dan. 22-year-old girl here calling from the West Coast. And I had a question for you about something I saw this weekend when I was driving down from Washington to Oregon to see the total eclipse. Um, we stopped at a gas station and I ended up using the men's restroom. And while I'm used to seeing a tampon, maybe ibuprofen dispenser in women's restroom, I was really surprised to see in that men's bathroom a condom dispenser. And um, they also had like sex accessories, lube, other things in the men's bathroom. And my question is, why do women's restrooms not have these also? In all my 22 years, I've never seen um, a condom in a women's bathroom. And should we be complaining about this? I suppose we could complain about it. But we've also complained endlessly and rightly so that 
people expect that birth control is entirely the woman's responsibility. And here we have evidence, at least in one instance, where the culture sends a message that condoms, birth control for some, disease prevention for others and for all, is the man's responsibility. And maybe we should embrace that in this one instance, this one place where the culture manifests or puts on men that, hey, this is your responsibility to go get the birth control, to go get the condom. That's the message that bathroom sends if the guy knows that there's no condom machine in the women's restroom, which of course most guys won't know. But still, if a guy wanders in the women's restroom by accident and sees no condoms and then wanders into the men's room and sees condoms, maybe he'll get the message that, hey, birth control and disease prevention, my responsibility. And that will counteract the other messages the culture sends that birth control and disease prevention are entirely the woman's responsibility, the woman's problem. Hi, I'm calling in response to episode 575, the woman who's a uh, boyfriend was in Spain and she was in the U.S. on a business trip. Um, first off, this guy is red flag city. He's obviously cheating on you, obviously has control issues. And I 100% agree with Dan's advice. But the other thing I'd like to add is that if you say you're not normally a jealous person and he seems to be bringing out the worst in you and making you feel utter agony, then that should be much more telling than any of the other stuff. The people that you know build you up are the people that you should try to surround yourself with. So uh, dump that motherfucker already. <laughs> Hi, Dan. This is just a call from the Halloween episode, a comment about the woman who has the boyfriend with the Madonna whore complex. Something Dan didn't mention is that the guy might also be a very nice guy. I have the same problem in that I tend to be very nice, and that sometimes is a conflict with my dominant tendencies. And... I wind up with a conflict simply because I have trouble saying what's going on in my head. So it could be that the guy just literally has a brain fart. Hi, this is a message for the woman who called up about her husband who runs to confession every time they do something kinky and is she doing something wrong. I think she should consider the possibility that going to confession is part of what makes it kinky. Because if he wasn't doing something wrong, would this be any fun? I can say, having dated a divorced Muslim man who thought it was very, very haram to be fucking a white woman of Western descent, that part of what made me attractive was how haram I was. So let your husband keep going to confession and being told that what he's doing is very, very bad. And then you'll keep doing it. Enjoy. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to put a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Be sure to read Savage Love, my weekly sex advice column at thestranger.com and other weekly newspapers all across the world. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow David Schmader on Twitter at David Schmader. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian. Me and the text that yet miss you. Hey, Nancy. I'll be back at you next week with an installment of Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.